Welcome to the Friday Five here on the Agent Survival Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Rupel, and this is our weekly list of five important headlines from the week. It is July 7th, and we are kicking off the first Friday in July with, well, quite a bit of heat and a lot of social media news. Before we get to that, though, let's talk about some of the other headlines this week. Number one, late last week, CMS announced a few revisions to their Medicare drug price negotiation program. And probably important to note, this is a little different than the Medicare Part B drug rebate program that we've been talking about recently. And if you're wondering about those lawsuits we mentioned two weeks ago, filed by a few drug companies against Medicare, my apologies because I did report the lawsuits were in response to the Medicare Part B drug rebate program. While they certainly might have had a hand in the pending legislation, the larger impetus behind those lawsuits was, in fact, the upcoming Medicare drug price negotiation program. Again, Apologies for the error, and to clarify any potential confusion I might have caused, I'm going to go into a little more detail on the differences between the two programs before I get into the revisions CMS announced. Let's start out with the Medicare Drug Inflation Program, also more colloquially known as the Medicare Part B Drug Rebate Program. So first, The rebate program applies to Medicare Part B drugs. These are prescribed drugs that a beneficiary typically receives outside of the home, so at a hospital, a doctor's office, or an infusion center. The program is designed to control prices through the lens of inflation, applying a rebate to Medicare Part B drugs that raise their prices at a rate higher than inflation. Rebates are paid by drug companies to Medicare, with CMS overseeing the process. The Medicare Drug Price Negotiation Program is a little different because, for one, it applies to Medicare Part D, so a different category of prescription drugs. These prescribed medications are usually able to be administered in a home setting. This program aims to lower the price of high-cost prescription drugs by allowing Medicare to negotiate prices with the drug companies. Negotiated prices will be phased in over the course of four years, starting with just 10 drugs in 2026 and capping out at 20 for the year 2029 and each year thereafter. CMS has set forth a timeline for the process, outlining when the list of drugs will be announced, the length of time for negotiations between drug manufacturers and the HHS secretary, publication of maximum fair prices, and then the date negotiated prices will take effect. Now, it would be great if the process were simple and all of these timeframes lined up, but sadly, they do not. So we will be linking to a few resources in the notes where you can see that information laid out visually. The CMS announcement about revisions to the negotiation process was likely in response to the lawsuits we mentioned two weeks back. I think what they're trying to do is create a little more transparency in the program, giving more insight into the negotiation process. 
So first up, and probably the biggest question, how will CMS decide which drugs to include on their list? According to CMS, they'll be looking at, quote, the selected drug's clinical benefit, the extent to which it fulfills an unmet medical need, and its impact on people who rely on Medicare, among other considerations, such as costs associated with research and development and production and distribution for selected drugs, end quote. Next up, for the drug companies concerned about publicly available data while negotiations are ongoing, CMS has revised their stipulations, saying that they will, quote, release information about the negotiation when the explanation of the maximum fair price is published, and that drug companies may choose to publicly discuss the negotiation at their discretion, end quote. That's probably a wise idea to help protect stock prices during negotiations, but I'm sure when these announcements are made, we will see it reflected in the stock market. CMS also announced Part D formulary inclusion for the selected drugs. So if a drug company puts one of the selected negotiated drugs in a non-preferred tier, they will have to justify that decision. Other items of interest, a Medicare transaction facilitator for oversight and compliance purposes, and a promise that the conversation will continue between drug companies, the public, and CMS during the negotiation process. The specific example outlined in the fact sheet, patient-focused listening sessions. A lot of information to parse through in those revisions. We'll be linking to that information in our notes, so be sure to check that out. We will be keeping an eye on the negotiation process and reporting back, and we are doing our best to keep it all straight, because honestly, it does get confusing. CMS will announce the first 10 Part D prescription drugs up for negotiation on Friday, September 1st, 2023. Number two, quick mention here, also related to the Inflation Reduction Act. Saturday, July 1st, marked the start of $35 insulin for a new group of Medicare beneficiaries. To recap, on January 1st this year, diabetic Medicare beneficiaries who get their insulin through Medicare Part D were able to get their insulin at the capped coinsurance cost of $35 per month. But not all diabetic patients with Medicare get their insulin that way. Some have their insulin delivered by pump, and that type of insulin falls under Medicare Part B coverage, either through Original Medicare or Medicare Advantage. Saturday, July 1st, marked the beginning of the $35 coinsurance cap on insulin delivered via pump and covered under Medicare Part B. This is a great item to feature in those newsletters you're sending to your clients, or you can post about it on social media. We will be linking to the News for Agents in a Think Advisor piece under the References section of our notes. And then under the Resources section of our notes, we will have articles you can share on social media with your clients. Number three, Twitter was a bit of a hot mess over the weekend, a little more of a hot mess than usual. There were error messages when trying to view tweets without being logged in. 
Initially, that might have been taken to be a bug in the system, but apparently, it was an intentional move. The action also rendered previews of tweets posted in other apps from populating like they normally do. Also intentional, Elon Musk announced a new daily read limit for all Twitter accounts, favoring those who have paid for that little checkmark. The original daily read limits were announced as 300 for new unverified accounts, and I would love to say that I have a definitive time frame for what Twitter considers to be a new account. I do not. Despite my best efforts to find the answer, it seems like it varies from account to account. Unverified is a little bit easier to define. That simply means an account that does not have a checkmark, regardless of what color the checkmark may be. For unverified accounts, Twitter set the read limit at 600 tweets per day. That simply means an account that does not have a checkmark, regardless of what color the checkmark may be. For an account that does not have that checkmark, that is considered to be unverified. For those unverified accounts, Twitter set the read limit at 600 tweets per day. And then for verified accounts with checkmarks, the read limit was set at 6,000 tweets per day. Verified accounts have a checkmark that's either gray, gold, or blue. Gray checkmarks denote government agencies. Gold checkmarks are for verified organizations, and then the blue checkmark is for a verified user. While gray checkmarks are a non-paid verification, the gold checkmark is a paid subscription, and the blue checkmark is either a paid Twitter blue subscriber or a legacy verified user that may or may not keep that verified status with future changes to checkmark eligibility and subscription models. So no, not confusing at all. But back to those read limits. And I do keep saying read limits because it is a limit on the number of tweets you can read or the ones that you see rather than a limit on what you can post. That's a different ball of wax. So not long after Elon Musk made his initial tweet on rate limits, he continued to tweet that the numbers would soon increase to 400 for new unverified, 800 for unverified, and 8,000 for verified paying users. And then not long after that, Musk tweeted that the limit would eventually be 10K, 1K, and 0.5K. So a 500-tweet read limit for new unverified accounts, 1,000 for unverified accounts, and 10,000 for the verified Twitter, and 10,000 for verified Twitter accounts. That was the last of the numbers I saw on read limits, but I have not seen anything definitive on whether Twitter has moved from the original tweet's read threshold or if they're still at the level of the original announcement. But it does not stop there. TweetDeck, the site that lets Twitter users customize and view several columns of feed information, has been extra glitchy lately. On Monday this week, Twitter announced the release of a new improved version of TweetDeck, and then they also announced that within 30 days, 
users would need to be Twitter verified in order to continue using the new version of TweetDeck. Now, you might be wondering why the changes and why so many in a short amount of time. That question was posed to Twitter owner Elon Musk as well, and he claimed that it was a necessary action. Tweeting on Friday, he said, quote, We were getting pillaged so much that it was degrading service for normal users, end quote. I am far from a normal user, so I can't really speak to any issues accessing the site, but I rarely log in to Twitter. In all fairness, I do have to mention that Musk said the measures would be temporary, but again, did not say how long they would be in effect. When he's talking about getting pillaged, that is in reference to data supposedly being pulled and fed to the large language models that then train AI chatbots. That's the take from Musk. There are certainly plenty of other takes out there, ranging from being as specific as cost-cutting measures to Musk just generally ruining Twitter. Musk did claim that Twitter could not give users prior notice about pending changes because the bot accounts he was targeting would have had the same warning. But I'm not sure that I buy that. We will have to see. Another point I do have to mention is that on Wednesday this week, TechCrunch reported that the login requirement to view tweets had been removed. So users can now again view tweets without having a Twitter account. We will be keeping up with the changes and reporting back when we have more information on requirements and just what Elon Musk is up to. I think a lot of these measures are likely tests and research into further monetization efforts, among other things, but we will just have to wait and see. Number four, super short mention here. I finally got my invite for the Blue Sky social app. So I signed up, I made my account, posted a few times, and I would love to say there's a lot more to it, but there's really not, and I wasn't expecting that. As far as the user experience goes, it was fairly easy to use and set up. That wasn't the problem. It is a little odd that Blue Sky doesn't yet support hashtags, but again, not really a problem. That functionality may or may not come, but I can keyword search without a hashtag. My problem, like so many others, is just finding people to follow. It's really difficult trying to find the people you want to follow manually rather than importing emails or usernames from an already existing platform. I took a few days to add the people I enjoy following on Twitter to my Blue Sky account, and it was just so time-consuming. For the handful of users who had their Blue Sky handles in their Twitter profiles, that was extremely helpful. But outside of that, it was a lot of searching, matching profile photos, and then clicking on follow. And of course, following is only an option if the person is on Blue Sky. The app is still in beta, and it seems to still be very limited as far as how many users are added each day. 
I plan to keep on using it. I would like to see the difference between experiences in beta versus launch, but it has lost a little bit of its luster. Number five, I might have thought better of Blue Sky if the events of July 5th did not happen, but they did happen, and here we are. Meta announced plans to launch Threads, their Twitter clone slash killer app, on Thursday this week. And then they moved the launch up to 7 p.m. on Wednesday, July 5th. And just 20 hours after launch, Threads has 30 million users. While I love the idea of Blue Sky and wanted to have a place like Twitter that wasn't Twitter, Meta just might be the company that is actually able to do that. There's not much that's different about the layout of the app. It doesn't support hashtags, but again, pretty easy to find people talking about what you'd like to talk about. The main difference between Blue Sky and Threads is the ability to find other people, to find them quickly and then hit the ground running. So first, Meta has reserved Instagram usernames for use on threads. So if you've got an account on Instagram, you'll be able to use that same username on threads. Second, you can import the people you follow on Instagram to threads. And you can either do all of them or go through and manually select the ones you want to keep following. I chose to import all of the people I follow, and I think that's the route that most people went with in their selection. You can even port over your profile information and your links. So if you've got a website or link tree in your profile, all of that is easily copied right over to threads as you're going through the signup process. It is incredibly easy easy to get started on threads, and I think that might be the distinguishing factor from other Twitter alternatives. It takes about two minutes from downloading the app to being able to write your first post. And so far, threads seems like a pretty cool place. And yes, I know it is extremely early to be saying that. These are just my first impressions I will be going into more detail in future episodes, but it has been a long time since we've had a brand new social media platform that so many people have gravitated to so quickly. If you want to get started on threads, we will have information on how to do that in the notes, as well as links to everything else that we mentioned here today. Feel free to follow along with me the Sarah J. Rupel, all one word, all lowercase, and the link to do that will be in the episode notes as well. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you have a great weekend. Stay healthy and stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. This episode of the ASG podcast was written and produced by me, Sarah Rupel. Script editing by Isabel Vitali. Podcast design by Urban Rivera. Artwork by Vivian Zhao. Follow along with us wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the show on Apple or Spotify. 